Welcome to Dropping In, a podcast of storytelling and interviews with your host, Winter Olympian Mercedes Nickel. Thank you so much for dropping in today. Now, this is Series 11. It's a bit strange. I haven't really just been myself on the podcast since Episode 1, where I shared why I started the podcast and what the podcast is about, as well as a little bit about my snowboard career. So this series, Series 11, features an in-depth interview with me, Mercedes Nickel. You might be wondering how. Well, I've gotten to know technology a little bit more, and I've used ChatGBT to ask questions. So those of you that are not familiar with ChatGBT, um, it's AI. It's artificial intelligence, and you can ask it questions, and it'll give you answers. So I asked it to interview me um, to provide more insights on my life, career, and my experiences. So thank you so much for dropping in on episode 90. This is very exciting for me. Um, I do appreciate everyone that's been listening along the way. I can't believe we've gotten to 90 episodes. And do stay tuned for episode 100 where I have a really special guest I'm excited to have on. Um, so this series, I'm going to be talking about my early influ influences and the beginnings of Mercedes Nickel. Uh, it wouldn't be a show if I didn't do a rapid fire. I don't know if I'm going to do them for all 10 episodes. We'll see what you guys are into. Um, but I get to do the rapid fire. I pulled these from Jet Chat B GBT. And the first round were kind of boring. So I was like, let's ask some fun questions. You know I like fun. So here we go. Number one, if I could travel in time, would you rather travel to the past or the future and why? Oh, I think I'd travel to the future. I mean, I, I, I mean, I don't have the best memory, but I mean, I've lived that life and I, I kind of think it would be cool to see what's going on in the future. Uh, number two, dream superpower. Now, I haven't read these, so I'm reading these for the first time. Dream superpower. If you could have any superpower, what would it be and how would you use it? My dream super. I've talked about this in an episode before and I think it I think it was like flying, but I think I would say more so teleporting because I really love traveling. Um, and if I could just like beam myself up like they do in Star Trek, uh, that would be phenomenal because then I could go visit all my friends and just be there in an instant. That would be great. Uh, favorite cartoon character. Who's your favorite cartoon character from your childhood? The first one that just popped into my head um, – <laughs> I must have just seen something about him before, but it was uh, Winnie the Pooh. And I think that I had just seen on Instagram a um, a meme that was like Winnie the Pooh and Mickey Mouse. And we all know that Mickey Mouse just wears shorts and they're red shorts with like two buttons on them. Well, it used to be a full top, I guess. And he cut the top of it off and gave the shirt to Winnie the Pooh. But I don't know if that's real or not. Anyways, car favorite cartoon character, that'd be, that'd be Winnie the Pooh. Um, okay, fictional world visit. If you could visit any fictional world from a book or a movie, where would you go? 
I'm going to have to use ChatGPT to do some of these for me <laughs> because these are good. Um, okay, the first one that popped into my head was Harry Potter. I mean, I'm a huge Harry Potter fan, so that would be that would be pretty sweet. I'm trying to think what else fictional books I would want to go into. I'm sure a lot of you guys have good ideas. Let me know. Let me know on uh, social media what where you guys would go because I'm I'm super interested. Um, okay, number five, dinner party guests. If you could, oh, this one is so hard. If you could invite three famous people, dead or alive, to a dinner party, who would they be? This is the one where people usually ponder and they're uncertain or they know right away. And like I have thought about this before and um, my friend Kimmy just got me a ticket and we went and saw Pink in person in San Diego. So I think I would want Pink at the table 100%. Um, she's alive and really cool. Uh, and one day I hope to snowboard with her because she also snowboards. Um, and then I, who else would I have? I think, I think I'd want, is it, is it, would I want Barack or Michelle Obama? I don't know. One of them. Maybe I go with Michelle. I really enjoyed her book and she seems pretty with it and cool. Okay. So that's two women. I probably need a man at the table. Um, man. Oh man. You know what? I'm just going to go all women. Cause I think I'd want, I think, <laughs> This is like interesting in the family dynamic, but I think I'd want my grandma. I'd want my grandma back, um, my dad's mother, uh, just so that she could see what has happened in the world and maybe things would change her mind on her feelings about certain people and everything like that. <laughs> okay, so pink Michelle Obama and my grandma. That would <laughs> that actually makes me laugh <laughs> because I think my grandma might like fall out of her seat at that table but I think a lot of powerful women at that table oh that's a tough question who would you guys have let me know um okay number six travel destination what place you've never been but would love to visit someday it's happening I've never been to Fiji and I'm going to Fiji this December 2023 I'm like over the moon I did a um in grade six when I first moved to Whistler um, <clears throat> that was a long time ago in 1995. I did a school report on Fiji and I've wanted to go since then, since I was 12 year old, 12 years old. And now I will be spending my 40th birthday in Fiji. So it's all coming around. It's all coming full circle. But um, yeah, that's the travel destination I'm most excited about. Then after that, because I'm actually going there, um, Fiji, other than that, I think I think Jordan is definitely on my bucket list, but so is Australia because I haven't really been there and I have a lot of friends. Hello, Sirianis. I love you. I'm going to come visit you one day. Don't worry. Um, okay. Number seven, hidden talent. Do you have a quirky or unusual talent that most people don't know about you? Oh, what's the talent? Do I? I mean, my friends would probably say I do. I can make like a bucket with my tongue and hold water in it. Is that weird? Yeah, kind of weird. That's not really a talent though. It's like a dog. <laughs> I didn't have to think about that one. Uh, number eight, ultimate comfort food. What's the one comfort food that never fails to make you feel 
better? Well, first I was going to go with shepherd's pie, but like if I'm feeling sick, then I'll just have like um, chicken broth soup because that will make me feel better when I'm not hungry. But like if we're just talking like comfort food, I'd say like, okay, shepherd's pie, but not with lamb. I'd have it with like turkey or beef. Therefore, it's not a shepherd's pie. This is going to get – people are going to get angry, but that's okay. That's okay. That's how I would like it. Okay, number nine, favorite childhood game. What was your favorite game to play as a child? Okay, the first one that got – I feel like I'm taking this rapid fire pretty well. Um, The first thing that came to mind was kick the can. And for the life of me, if you ask me how you play that game, I can't remember. I know you kick the can, but where are we all hiding? And like, I can't, like, someone went to jail. Uh, were we all hiding together? I don't know. Someone let me know. Kick the can. <laughs> I'm old now, but I think I would still like to play that. I also like Red Rover, Red Rover, but that seems pretty painful now. That's how, that, like that's how kind of you would break your wrist maybe. But when you're a child, you're, you're unbreakable. Um, number 10, the last one of the rapid fire, time capsule. If you were to create a time capsule to be open in 50 years, what would you put in it to represent your life today? Uh, what would I put in it to represent my life today? Okay, well, I am a huge fan of printing photos and and making um like photo album books. Uh if you're if you're viewing, oh, you can't really see, but like behind me I have probably like a bunch. I have a bunch um of those like shutterfly books that you make from all the trips. I think maybe I would put the latest one in and the latest one I made was from the UK, a family trip to the UK. And I also have one from Nashville and South Carolina. So maybe I'd put like all three in because that just makes my heart happy. That'd be my time capsule. That makes sense, right? Photos? Yeah, I'd say so. Okay, that was a rapid fire. Um, Never rapid because I like to explain things. And so does everyone else. But I feel like I got to know me a little bit better. just new. Um, Now, this series is about early influences and beginnings. So the theme that ChatGBT says is exploring Mercedes Nichols' early life and influences. I've got a couple questions here that I'm going to answer, and uh, we'll see how it goes. (laughs) This is so interesting for me. Um, Can you share stories from your childhood that played a significant role in your passion for snowboarding? Probably growing up, coming um, when I lived in Toronto, we would come out to Whistler for Christmas and spring break every year without fail. And when I did that, when I was younger, I would ski and ski. My parents put me in ski scamps. Um, I was, for those that grew up in Whistler, I was a red star forever because I lived far away and could never get up to the J whatevers those were, um, which is kind of a blessing in disguise because in the mid nineties, snowboarding came around and, uh, I tried it and I never looked back. 
So yeah, child, what like met stories from my childhood, it would be like ski scamps. That was huge for me. And then also when we were in Toronto, um, my parents are the best. They would, uh, on weekends in the winter, we would, this is like a vague memory I have. I can't remember what it was called, like the Ravens or something like that. But we would get on a bus at the end of our street in the dark in the morning and we drive up to the mountain, the mountains, do we call them mountains in Ontario? <laughs> so like, yeah, Blue Mountain and like Mount St. Louis. And we would have all our ski gear, go up there, ski for the day, get back on the bus and it would be dark and we'd come back and we'd do that. I think like for Saturday and Sunday, um, it seems like my parents didn't want me in the house, but I'm grateful because I got to learn how to ski. Um, and those are some like really uh, significant moments from my childhood that sprung into um, my passion for the mountains, which then rolls into um, my passion for snowboarding. Okay, who were the people or athletes you looked up to as a child and how did they influence your decision to pursue snowboarding? So another interesting childhood memory I have was um, I grew up figure skating for those of you that didn't know. Um, I, my parents were a member at the Toronto cricket and curling club, cricket, curling and Toronto skating, cricket and curling club. It's <laughs> a mouthful. Um, and that's where I grew up figure skating. I loved it. I loved going fast. Uh, fun fact, I had the same coach as Patrick Chan, but I'm older than Patrick. So we weren't there at the same time. Um, and that like really led my life. Like, so I grew up around amazing figure skaters um, we would have like back in the day we had Shaylin, um, and Victor, their figure skaters, the dance skaters that did really well at the Olympics. They, um, were billeted at my house. So I was kind of around amazing athletes all the time from the figure skating crowd. Then I moved out to Whistler where, I mean, everywhere you look, there's an athlete, which is amazing. Um, but once I got into snowboarding, um, athletes that I looked up to, I see, I wouldn't call them athletes cause I would just call them snowboarders. Uh, I definitely had like Devin Walsh on my wall, Chris Duffesey, like the whole forum team. I was like that they're amazing, great style. I loved what they were doing. So that was like my jam. Um, and then it, it became like the whole chorus crew. Um, I'm really dating myself. So anyone that that wasn't alive back then. <laughs> they wouldn't really get it. But Chorus was the first all-women's snowboard company. And it was Roberta Roger, Jana Mayan, Leslie Olson, Tomo, um, and uh, oh gosh, Kara uh, Beth Burnside. And so they were like the crew. And, and then I was like, I somehow became an AM on that team. And, uh, and that was just, that was just, one of the most amazing things to like be able to ride with those girls and and be part of the crew that was so awesome so yeah a lot of guy influence in my snowboard life obviously because that's just what there was at the time um but i mean huge 
huge crush on Devin Walsh. I think everyone in the snowboard industry knew that. Um, and, and now we're friends. Um, but yeah, like when I was younger, I would uh, go up to uh, Superpipe Camp. And um, that was up at Brome. So in between Squamish and Whistler, there was a snowboard camp there in the late 90s, early 2000s. And, uh, and they would have guest coaches come up. And a little birdie told me that Devin Walsh was coming up there. And I was like, and we would get like a cat driven to the half pipe. This was my summer camp. This is what happened to my son. Like I went from like Ontario summer camp to like snowboard summer camp. That's all I wanted to do. And uh, and everyone knew at, at that camp that I like was losing it. And, uh, and everyone wanted to get a snowmobile ride back with him. And I was way too shy, way too shy to ask. And all the boys um, had asked, like, uh, I remember Nate, who's now on um, that TV show, uh, Leonard Kenny. Nate had asked him straight up. And, and Devin was like, sorry, dude, I'm already taking Mercedes. Oh, my jaw dropped. It was amazing. I'm sure I've told this story before, but that's such a like, core memory for me. Um, so, yeah, I definitely looked up to them, uh, to him and, like, a bunch of guys that had good style. That's really all I cared about was like if they had good style while snowboarding, I was like, oh, yeah, they're they that's what I want to look like. I definitely wanted to have good style, which was super cool. Um, OK, who or what inspired you to start snowboarding and how did it all begin? Who inspired me? OK, I feel like. Back in the mid-90s, it was, like, still Sorel snowboard boots. Oh, and there were no snowboard boots. It was, like, you were wearing Sorels. So um, who the heck would have inspired me? I don't know. Maybe I just saw someone and was, like, I want to try that. But the first time that I tried snowboarding, and I think I touched on this, is um, in Whistler. Well, actually, I think for reals I tried it in Ontario at one of those Raven camps when they were, like, do you want to try this? It's new. And, uh, and I remember it being really tricky and challenging. Then push on like a year or whatever. We were out here for, I think, spring break in our sweet descent purple and turquoise outfits. And uh, me and Brett Kane, a good friend of mine uh, who had skied together, skied the whole mountain. We kind of knew everything. Um, we thought we knew everything. We were so little. We were tiny humans. Um, probably like 11 before I moved to Whistler. Um, we decided to give it a go in our Sorel boots and low back bindings and try snowboarding. And I don't know if it was his idea or my idea or joint idea, but yeah, we wanted to try something new. So I don't know if it came from like, I didn't watch any movies or anything like that. It was just like, that looks cool. I think I want to try it. So I did. Um, okay. Can you share a specific childhood memory related to snow or mountains that ignited your interest in snowboarding? We've already touched on that. Um, I'm like, I have to say mad kudos to my mom and my dad who like my dad, a super into skiing. So then brought that into our lives and um, I'm grateful that he retired when he did. And so we could move out to Whistler. Um, and so I could snowboard and never look back. And now I can, 
I put on some figure skates like last year and I was like, oh, I am very rusty at this. Um, so yeah, shout out to my dad for that one. Okay, next question. What was your very first experience with snowboarding and how did it feel? Can you, okay, how did it feel that first time in Ontario? So foreign. Um, that's like really the only memory I have from that being really foreign and um, I was not fast and I was uh, aggravated frustrated all of the things um because the next question that ChatGPT asks is uh can you describe the emotions and thoughts you had during that moment um yeah it was super freaking frustrating obviously like you're trying something new and it's not working and it's like so foreign um I'm I wouldn't be surprised if I like threw my snowboard down the hill or something like just being a total jerk um but when we picked it up in Whistler me and Brett I remember that being like a little more calm and uh we kind of gave it a little bit more thought but still probably really frustrating from going to be able to like ride the whole mountain to like starting something brand new um so yeah frustration was definitely part of it um what other sports or activities were you involved in during your childhood and did they have any impact on your snowboard career figure skating yes um it's super funny i was just on instagram and this uh, other snowboarder on snowboarder meg uh on instagram said she was a figure skater too and i was like oh that's wild it does help like you get the rotations you understand what edges are so that for sure helped um my skateboarding career when i was younger was nothing to write home about other than i like sat on it i well um my old neighbor and I, we in Toronto snuck out of the house, took my brother's skateboard, even though we were not allowed, and um, went down a, like probably now <laughs> a five degree pitch. But back in the day, it was like a, a 90 degree pitch. No, um, <laughs> we went down a road, like a tiny hill on a, on a skateboard and somehow um, I slipped off. I don't even think I was standing. Honestly, I think I was sitting and it just like ripped the whole half of my face off. So that like it was just all bloody and like peeled off. And I was like too scared to go home to my mom because I was like, she's going to know that I snuck out and now I look like trash and I don't really know what to do. I wasn't – I don't know if I was, like, crying. I, like, literally had, like, Two-Face from Batman or whatever that guy's name is. Like, I was not okay. Um, and then I remember, like, my mom My mom was more just worried about my face. So that was a lesson learned. <laughs> um, yeah, so figure skating definitely helped, I'd say, with my snowboarding. And also, fun fact, like, I think it's something like 10% of people um, spin to the right, like, clockwise – and most people spin to the left. And I'm one that spins to the right. And I'm regular footed. So that means my left foot's forward when I'm snowboarding. And I spin backside. Um, that's not like super normal. Most people like spinning front side when they're regular. So I learned that from figure skating. Um, okay. Share the story of your initial fas fascination with the sport and how it led to your decision to pursue it as a career. It's funny. It's hard to like think of my 
my snowboard. Well, now that I reflected on it, yes, it was definitely a career. But when I was in it, I was just like, I'm just a snowboarder or whatever. Um, share the the story of your initial fascination with the sport. I mean, I don't know that it would be my initial fascination with the sport. Why is that, that, hard? Why is that word so hard to say? Um, but I think it would – like one a core memory that I have of like getting into the half pipe is when back in the day, Blackcomb – I know my family's a Whistler – team, but I would go on black home. Um, I am the black sheep. I am the snowboarder in the family, not the skier. Everyone else skis. I'm the snowboarder. Um, I would go on black home and there, honestly, you get up both of the chairlifts on black home and right there was the half pipe. And I remember like Kevin Young, Chris Brown, like that whole crew, like the whole shorties crew was like up there in the half pipe. And I was like, pfft, I'm in. Like, you see everyone doing that? I want to do that. And it looked so cool. And it was awesome because, like, you're kind of all together and you're all hiking. That's kind of why I put the fam jam on in April at Whistler Lacombe. Like, if they build a half pipe, I will always do that. It's, like, bringing the generations together. Like, that's what it was about. It was about having, like, all your friends in one place trying to be better, trying to, like, look good snowboarding and do cool tricks. I don't think it's that complicated. Um, so that would be like my initial fascination with the sport um, as I kind of got to know it a little bit more uh, in that realm of things. But the beginning, I was just like jetting around with my girlfriends from elementary school snowboarding on weekends. Like that, that, that was amazing. And we were pretty fast, I'd say. Um, how did it lead to my decision to pursue it as a career? That's such a tricky question because, again, I did never really, like, when I was in it, think of it as a career. Um, but when I won my first big check, that was on Whistler Mountain at, like, a quarter pipe contest. Uh, that kind of, I was like, oh, light bulb, like, cool, cool, cool. This is pretty awesome. Like, um, I, I think I'm into this. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, like half pipe was like the main, the main jam, uh, even at like provincial contests, it would be racing, which I would do on my freestyle board, but I didn't like, I wasn't passionate about it by any means, but like in half pipe, I liked the, the, the going, the going fast. I know that that's the same thing as racing, but I like getting the air and I like that, like you could feel the style in the air. Like, like when I in the air, in the half pipe, or even like on a jump. Like I can like, I don't know, you know, you're doing it right when you like feel good and you know that you look good. Like you can huck something around and like, yeah, cool. That I did the rotation. But if, if you like get that moment where you're like, damn, that felt good. I mean, there's nothing better than that. That is just the, the icing on top of the cake. Um, Okay. Okay. Next question. <laughs> I'm kind of digging these questions. I didn't really read them before either. Okay. Who were your early role models in the world of sports? My role models. Well, it was a bunch of drunken snowboarders, wasn't it? <laughs> I say that in the kindest, nicest way. We just have such a different sport. Like I went from figure skating where it was like 
<laughs> so structured and uh, and not fun at times. Like I love my figure skating friends now because I met them at the Olympics and they are the top of the top. Like kudos, guys. I freaking love you and I don't know how you made it through those first initial steps because I bowed out and I just went to snowboarding. Um, my role models, I talked about them earlier. Yeah. Describe the moment when you decided that snowboarding was what you wanted to pursue as a career. I, it didn't. It didn't happen until I like reflected on it and I was like, maybe when I was concussed, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. Remember, like you are an athlete. You like to do sports. You like to do like five sports a day. Um, but yeah, like super lucky to grow up in that era of like the mid-90s when it became a big boom to like now. I've seen snowboarding just – progress and then things happen like it's it's been a a roller coaster for sure um did you have any family members or friends who played a significant role in supporting your early interest in snow sports yeah we touched on that that's for sure um my mom my dad my brother my aunt my cousins uh like it's I don't know it's in our veins it's just <laughs> something that we do and uh we're just so passionate about it it's so lovely and it's and it's really awesome to have in our lives still I mean my dad doesn't I mean I don't think he's done skiing I think he'll still go up again but he's turning 80 in April and like he crushed it for 77 years on snow so, like amazing um my brother he's still crushing it like he is so passionate about skiing i think um that warms my heart it's it's a soulful experience and um i think that that's just passed down through um our family as a passion which is which is so awesome to see i love that uh were there any specific challenges or obstacles you encountered in the early stages of your snowboard journey and how did you overcome them okay i have one story for you one time my snowboard got stolen at a provincial contest and we were at mount seymour no shade on mount seymour that has nothing to do with them that just has to do with some jerks that stole my snowboard with a big huge winnie the pooh sticker on it <laughs> Look at that coming full circle. Um, that, yeah, that was shitty. And uh, I got I, – I, like, had to compete the next day and I didn't have a snowboard. So then um, one of my friends was like, oh, here, you can have this one at a pro deal. I didn't know what that meant. And I didn't have the $180 for a snowboard at that time. And I got in so much trouble for accepting it because then my dad had to pay for it. And he's like, what are you the – like, uh, lesson learned. I I didn't – I should not have accepted that. <laughs> and I'll never – that's ingrained in my head. It was an option snowboard. I ended up riding for option after that for a while. And uh, I was just so scared. I was like, I'm in so much trouble. Um, but, yeah, lessons learned. So that was definitely – that was a crazy story because the freaking guy that stole my snowboard showed up the next day at the competition and I was like, dude, that's my snowboard. And he's like, no, my grandma just gave it to me. I'm like, look at the outline of the Winnie the Pooh sticker. That's where my Winnie the Pooh sticker was. So guys, I ended up getting my snowboard back and I know who stole it. I'm fine. I'm fine. That was a long time ago. I was very young, but lessons learned a lot of like 
crazy things happen. Um, do, 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 do. Okay. Okay. I do like this question. Were there any particular snowboarders or athletes you tried to emulate when you were starting out and how did they influence your development as a snowboarder? Yes. I'm pretty sure I wanted to be Devin Walsh. I like, I feel like I would just watch his snowboard parts because I was just like, man, his style is so good. Like there is something about his style. Like honestly, let's just all go back to backside 180s and, and that only, and he'll still win that, that, oof. um, yeah, I, I mean, my style does not look like his style. I wish it did, but, uh, I, I just try and like still to this day hone in his style. Cause I think it's so, it's a thing of beauty on a snowboard. Um, okay. 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 How did you balance your education and snowboarding aspirations during your formative years? Chat GPT, you're so serious. Uh, yeah, that's a good question though. Yeah. I got on the development team and the national team at a young age and for school, I, um, was lucky enough that Whistler Secondary had a quarter system. And what that means is you have four quarters. And in the first quarter, we took full courses, two courses, sometimes three. And in the last quarter, we took two courses, sometimes three. In the middle two courses over the winter, we took math. And I say we because I was put in with the ski racers, who I love. We had a good time. Um, and a couple other snowboarders, uh, Tim Orr and Mikey Renz, I think we both, we all did that. Um, we would take math and we could take the courses on the road with us. Okay, side note, I'm old. And this was before like the internet. The internet was alive, but like we weren't using it as we do now. So we would have to like take all of our books with us and and do all of that stuff and really be um, self-sufficient and self-motivated to do that math work. And it wasn't always easy. I will tell you that much. Um, but yeah, that's how I ended up uh, graduating. Uh, funnily enough, not everyone knows this, but my grandma passed away. The last um, year of my high school in 2001 and wait, 2002, 2002, I graduated. Yeah. Um, and I didn't get to write my last provincial exam. So yes, I walked across the stage. I graduated. I'm putting like bunny ears around everything graduated. Um, but I didn't actually graduate. So I got to go back to school for the first quarter again the next year, which was kind of a blessing because I got to take more courses and they were free because once you've graduated, they're not free anymore. That was back in the day. Uh, I don't know what happens now. <laughs> but uh, no, I, I graduated and I did a lot of art. <laughs> I graduated. Thank God, Miss Nori, I had her on the podcast because um, – um, Mr. Sulkers, who I also had on the podcast, said that I would not do well on my English exam. So art was where it was at. Um, yeah, that was how uh, I kind of got to be on the road and snowboard uh, and finish school at the same time, which was great. It was really great. Um, I'll just do one more because I know it's getting late on time. Describe the first competition or event you realized your potential as a snowboarder. What? What? Okay. Um, 
Well, frick, I feel like I took every event, even like the provincial ones pretty seriously. I, maybe I, okay, I know, I know. This is, this is one that stands out to me. I got invited to junior nationals at Nakiska and it was sponsored by Fruit by the Foot. Is that stuff still out there? Probably. Uh, and so along the half pipe, there was like huge rulers of like Fruit by the Foot. Uh, at that junior nationals, I won and I was also in the senior nationals considered, but I won my first um, cowboy hat from Calgary. So if you win like anything in Calgary, you they present you with like a white cowboy hat. Now they're plastic. Back then they were real, like real sick hats with like feathers in them. It was so cool. Um, so yeah, that's probably <laughs> – that was probably the first time I realized I had potential because then I got invited to Junior Worlds after that as well, which was super cool. All right. That's enough questions for now. Um, I feel like this is working. I didn't know if it would work. That was my early influences and beginnings. Lots of questions answered. Um, stay tuned for the next series where I'm going to talk about mentorship and influence a little bit more. Um, yeah. Thank you so much for dropping in today. This is series 11 where um, ChatGBT is giving me all the questions. That's who's interviewing me. And uh, I had a blast. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So much for dropping in today. You can find everything you want to know about dropping in with Mercedes at droppinginwithmercedes.com. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube. Thanks DJ Kenosis for the music and my mom for the intro voice. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at Four Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com.